0: On a chilly fall morning on November 13, 1984, the small town of Exeter, New Hampshire began to wake up. Exeter could only be described as picturesque. Full of historic New England buildings, the small town is cut in half by the Squamscott River. Like many other children in Exeter, eight-year-old Tammy Belanger was getting ready for school. She woke up, she put on a purple sweater and a tan jacket with blue sleeves, and a pair of corduroy pants. She ate her breakfast. She put on a red backpack with her name and address written on the inside. And at around 8 a.m., she set off on her roughly one-mile walk to her elementary school. This had been her routine for nearly two years. However, something about today was different. Tammy would never arrive to her third-grade classroom. Listening to Gone Cold New Hampshire. My name is Alexis Welch, and this is the disappearance of Tammy Belanger. Please note that this episode contains descriptions of violence and sexual crimes committed against children. Listener discretion is advised. Tammy normally made this walk with a boy her age, but as fate would have it, he was sick this morning and decided to stay home. So Tammy set out alone. As it was the 80s, an eight-year-old walking to school alone was not unusual. She had been doing this route since the first grade. She knew it by heart. As she walked, a neighbor, Betty Blanchett, glanced up while eating her breakfast, just in time to watch the third grader look both ways for cars and skip across Court Street. She saw Tammy cross this street almost every day. But this morning was different. Miss Blanchett would be the last person to see Tammy. In 1984, things were different. If a third grader doesn't show up to school today, the parents are immediately called. It's an issue of safety. However, this was not the policy. So when Tammy didn't show up to her elementary school on Lincoln Street, no concerns were raised. After all, what could possibly happen to a little girl in a small town of just over 12,000? So the school day progressed. The school day ended, and Patricia Belanger, Tammy's mother, waited for Tammy to return home. By 3.30, Tammy still wasn't there. The worried mother called the school hoping that her third grader had just stayed behind. And it was during this phone call that Tammy's mother received the shocking news that not only was Tammy not at school, the third grader had never shown up. This was incredibly out of character for Tammy. From a newspaper clipping in the Boston Globe, Tammy's father, Nelson Belanger, said, quote, She enjoys school and has good grades. She is very punctual. She gets up early and has breakfast and goes to school right when she should at eight. End quote. There was no chance Tammy had decided to just skip that day. She loved school. Something had to have prevented her from getting to her class. Tammy's mother immediately called the police. By this point, Tammy had been officially missing for at least seven hours. Remember, her neighbor was the last person to see her at around 8 a.m. And as it was November in New Hampshire, the sun had already begun to set. The initial worry was that she got lost, and with dropping temperatures, it was critical That Tammy was found and fast but it was very unlikely that Tammy had just gotten lost she had been walking this route for two years so abduction became the most probable explanation a family abduction was quickly ruled out Tammy had a good relationship with her family because of this fact the police quickly realized that Tammy was probably abducted by a stranger This would bring in a large amount of manpower and would spur a multi-day search for the missing girl. Covering roughly eight square miles, volunteers searched on foot through the woods with the help of bloodhounds. Police searched via helicopter and boat. The Coast Guard drug rivers and divers searched the flooded quarry in Exeter. And still, there was no sign of Tammy. I spoke with Benjamin Agati of the New Hampshire Cold Case Unit to get more information on the search.
1: Um, she was, there was a large investigation that was done and a search for her that uh, I know carried not only throughout Rockingham County, uh, but also bled over the border into northern Massachusetts and into uh, southern Maine. Uh, so it was a pretty extensive search that was done for her.
0: This disappearance would bring in police from multiple towns, the fire department, volunteers, and the Coast Guard, as well as the FBI. This long and thorough search brought up no evidence. It was as though Tammy disappeared out of thin air. Tammy's school picture was quickly circulated throughout New England in the hopes that someone had seen her. The picture shows a sweet, smiling little girl. Her brunette hair is cut into thick, straight-across bangs. She has an unmistakable lazy eye and a mole on her left cheek. While the volunteers continued to search for physical evidence, the FBI and state police sorted through the thousands of tips that would be reported in the following two days. Out of these numerous tips, nothing would lead investigators to Tammy. The police were getting desperate. They entertained every possibility. Maybe this morning, Tammy had decided to stray from her usual route. Maybe she had wandered off, gotten lost in the thick New Hampshire woods, and maybe she was waiting to be found. However, with the temperatures dropping below freezing at night, there wasn't a real possibility Tammy could have survived against the elements for long. So the reality set in. Tammy was definitely abducted. And by November 20th, a week after Tammy had been last seen, police had given up hope that she would be found alive. It felt as though every lead had been exhausted, and still, there was no trace of Tammy. As I said earlier, family abduction was almost completely out of the picture, so the police began to look into anyone in the area that could have taken Tammy. Enter Victor Winetti. A six-foot, 250-pound man with black and gray salt and pepper hair, a bulbous nose, and dark brown eyes. He has a sordid past. Before Victor had even graduated high school, he had spent six years in juvenile detention for four total convictions. He also had ten separate cases for burglary in Pennsylvania juvenile courts. After Victor dropped out of high school, he and his family moved to Dover, New Hampshire. From the ages of 18 to 26, Victor accrued almost 30 felony charges in the New England area. However, Victor's crimes didn't just stick with theft. As many criminals do, his crimes escalated. In the early 70s, Victor began seeing a woman with an 8-year-old daughter. On July 27, 1973, Victor was arrested and charged with molesting that 8-year-old. But Victor had a good lawyer who convinced the jury that the 8-year-old girl couldn't distinguish between what was actually happening and her imagination. It didn't help that the girl's mother didn't believe her either. Five months after the state dropped the case against Winnetti, he married that girl's mother. This would begin the long-term grooming and molestation of Winnetti's now stepdaughter. When the girl was 11, she was hospitalized after Winetti's molestation escalated. Unfortunately, it would be another two years before he would finally be arrested for his crimes. It took his wife reporting him to the police for him to finally be charged. He was sentenced to seven and a half to 15 years in 1979. After serving just about four years, he was released on parole. He then moved to Rye, New Hampshire. After an extended stay in a Rye motel, Victor left to move in with his parents in Florida. However, he returned to New Hampshire rather quickly as he had fled the state without informing his parole officer. He also got into legal trouble in Florida, forcing him back to New Hampshire. His parole officer got him a job stripping paint at an auto body shop in Exeter. Per his parole order, Wanetti was perfectly punctual. That is, until the day that Tammy Belanger disappeared. Winnetti's auto body job just so happened to be on the same route that Tammy took nearly every day on her walk to school so there is a very good chance Winnetti had seen Tammy prior to the 13th. On that day, Winnetti was supposed to be at work at 7 a.m. He didn't show. He ended up calling out of work at around noon that day. Two days after Tammy disappeared, Winnetti's parole officer called the Exeter Police Department to inform them that Winnetti was, in fact, a convicted child rapist. And he was living in Exeter. Exeter. I spoke with Rhonda Randall, one of the creators of Oak Hill Research, to get more information.
1: The reason he became a person of interest within three days of Tammy Blander's disappearance was that um, his car, you know, was seen in the area. He had missed a day of work, which he hadn't missed because, you know, part of his parole uh, conditions were that he you know stay employed and that kind of thing and and he had missed a day of work the day she went missing and he'd asked his uh the person at the hotel to vouch for him or maybe it was at his work being his car being there all day um so there were things right away that um you know brought him to their attention um and the fact that he had you know had this conviction on a 13 year old um you know was also a factor
0: To say that I was surprised that a violent, convicted sex offender could live in this sleepy town without a soul knowing is an understatement. However, it wasn't law in New Hampshire at the time for a sex offender to be reported to local authorities or to other citizens. I noticed that the town wasn't really notified
1: of his status as a sex
0: offender. Can you speak on that at all?
1: Well, yes. Apparently, it wasn't until after Tammy Belanger went missing that his parole officer um, notified the police there um, that he, um, you know, was working in town. And that's one of the, you know, main criticisms that some people have with this case is the delays that happened because you know it was two days after she went missing that um, you know the parole officer notified the police. It was six days after she went missing that. Um, the FBI searched his car, um, and went to the body shop. And it wasn't until two weeks after she went missing that his room at the motel or whatever was searched. So there was just these, you know, really big delays in time that probably allowed him plenty of time once he knew he was on the radar, um, to dispose of, of evidence. Although he certainly also kept some evidence, it seems almost like he wanted to taunt the police, but can you tell me about that a little bit? And this is all just, you know, from the news. I don't have personal knowledge of any of this, but, um, you know, in his trunk, they found a chainsaw, which kind of doesn't bode well for what may have happened to her. Stolen items, piece of carpet, maybe he rolled her up in that. Um, uh, sex toy. Um, and then his his uh, at the motel where he stayed, they found a whole bunch of clippings of... Newspaper pictures and things of girls who are about ten years old, um, including some of um, Brooke Shields. Strangely enough, um, a scrapbook about of her pictures, um, you know, magazine ads of children wearing underwear. um. If Victor had committed this crime, he had ample
0: time to cover up any evidence of Tammy.
1: I know when you flood an area with officers, that makes it very difficult for people who are trying to avoid interaction from law enforcement from doing so. Um, and they also tend, as a in general, people tend who are, or who uh, people who are criminally responsible tend to get very nervous around law enforcement, and they end up saying something, acting in a certain way that kind of calls, uh, calls attention to them.
0: But that's just it. sure there was ample police presence in the area. But Winnetti wasn't even considered as a suspect for two days. None of his property was searched for six days. By the time police caught up with him, all that could have remained of Tammy was circumstantial evidence. And that's all police found.
1: I think they say that in about 85% of cold cases, I've heard the statistic that they know very well who did it. They just don't have the evidence to bring forward a conviction and i think that must be very frustrating for the police to know that these predators are out there and so forth but you can't just have circumstantial evidence convict someone or you're or you're going to get your uh, you're not going to get a conviction and then the person can never be tried again when real evidence comes in so
0: so winetti wasn't arrested and tammy's case went cold. In the spring of 1984, just before what would take place in Exeter, another little girl, Christy Luna, was walking to the store to buy cat food in Greenacres, Florida. She was barefoot, wearing a bathing suit and walking alone. She went missing, and just like Tammy, it was as though she disappeared into thin air. If you'll remember, after he was released from prison in New Hampshire and stayed in Rye, Winetti moved back to Florida to live with his parents. He lived nearby at the time. And just like with Tammy's case, he was investigated, but only circumstantial evidence was ever found.
1: So he's been looked at as, you know, kind of a lead suspect in both of those cases. And he was later in 1992, he was convicted of uh, burglary and indecent exposure because he, The police had him under surveillance at that time, and and they found him looking a whole bunch of times over a period of about a month in the windows of young girls.
0: Victor Winetti was sentenced to 75 years as a habitual offender. While serving out his sentence, he reportedly confessed to other inmates that he had abducted, raped, and murdered both Belanger and Luna. These confessions cannot convict Winetti. He was released from prison and died eight months later in 2012. Because of this, we may not ever know what happened to Tammy Belanger. Arrested in Florida, police searched Winnetti's home and found a scrapbook. It contained a published photo of Tammy Belanger, whom he claimed to have never known. any information regarding the disappearance of Tammy Belanger, please contact the New Hampshire State Cold Case Unit. Thank you to the New Hampshire Cold Case Unit and Rhonda Randall for contributing information to this story. Music in this episode was provided by Blue Dot Sessions. Sound effects were provided by freesound.org. On the next episode of Gone Cold, New Hampshire, the case of Chris Bird, a 25-year-old teacher who disappeared on July 29, 1984, last seen in Windham, New Hampshire. His vehicle was found abandoned at the Haverhill Mall. With the only possible man connected to the case dead, it leaves the question, What happened to Chris Bird?